Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 38. P is for Firestarter Season, the Aries Season podcast. Now, it's likely many listeners won't know the music we are listening to here. The song is titled Naiba, and the band is Philadelphia's The Disco Biscuits, a band I used to follow around in my more carefree mid-twenties. The Biscuits are one of two bands representing Aries Season today, because not only were its two frontmen, bassist Mark Brownstein and guitarist John Gutwillick, born under the sign of Aries, but as you'll hear later in the episode when I zap old Brownie here to Japan for a chat, the Disco Biscuits are one of my favorite bands that I listen to when I need to get fired up, and that is what Aries is all about. You see, as the zodiac sign that kicks off the astrological calendar, Aries is all about putting a little bit of pep into our step. After this intro, you'll hear a 10-minute run through the archetype of Aries, and after that, I'll be speaking about embodying these archetypes in our lives, before sharing a clip which speaks to the courage I see in all of us, and hopefully gives you some encouragement. Then, if that hasn't worked, we'll fire ourselves up with our first musical break from our other musical guest this week, one of the great rock bands of my youth, Jane's Addiction, and their tune, Mountain Song. Lead singer Perry Farrell is the Aries of the band, born March 29, 1959. Then, we get to cool down with one of Aries' favorite topics, war. No, we're not going to focus on the Ukraine-Russia war. Instead, you'll hear two clips about the bigger picture war, the narrative war, which has been waged by the American Empire on its citizens and the people of the world for too long now. To do that, I'll play a clip from Russell Brand's YouTube channel where he reads from one of the BNP Realm's longtime favorites, Matt Taibbi. In it, Taibbi gives a really great summary of this narrative war going back a few decades and how the players are often changing sides as they toss inconvenient moments into the memory hole. This short clip will prepare us for my reading of an absolute banger of an essay by Monica Harris about the narrative warfare of more recent times. It's a heady, heavy topic, so we'll then transition into that aforementioned, more lighthearted discussion about music that gets us moving with Mark Brownstein and, well, let's just leave it there. To close out the show, not only will you get one of the great epic songs of rock fire from Jane's Addiction in three days, but a 20-plus minute disco jam that has been, since it came out in May 2019, my favorite go-to for a pump-me-up bike ride. Okay, folks, it's another stacked episode, but would such a vibrant, energetic sign as Aries have it any other way? I don't think so. Now, before we go, you might have heard the music change, and this particular jam came highly recommended by some hardcore disco fans when I asked for a good fire jam. This one is the song 42, one of Brownstein's classics, and you'll hear him mention it in our conversation as well. For those keeping score, 
This comes from April 18, 2009 at the Electric Factory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, and the first one we heard was Naiba, and that came from the 2019 show in April in New Orleans. Uh-oh, the song's starting to drown me out, so before I go, as always, you can find me by going to the show notes, and all media mentioned in this episode, when possible, will have links in those show notes as well. Okay, the boys be jamming. Enjoy the show. Happy Aries season, everyone. Okay, to begin our segment, where we cover the archetype of Aries, I want to be clear about something. These 12 signs are archetypes. A person who is born with their son in Aries is likely to have some of these characteristics, but they've also got other planets and other signs, and that doesn't even get into the houses. The point is, all of us are all 12 of these signs, and so if you are someone who was born between March 21st and April 20th and have been told, you are an Aries, yet you hear me speak about the Aries archetype and some of it, or even a lot of it, doesn't resonate, so be it. That doesn't detract from the archetype and from using these archetypes as a language. It just means that you, like the rest of us, are unique. Okay, let's begin. I'm going to open by paraphrasing from Rick Levine's Foundations of Astrology course. Aries is the fire that starts, the fire starter. Aries is the fire that burns quickly, but it doesn't have longevity. Aries people tend to start things and not finish them because the enthusiasm is the enthusiasm of starting the fire in the moment. Aries is about initiation. It being the first sign of the zodiac, it's the Happy New Year of the astrological calendar. It's a cardinal sign, meaning it's the first sign of its season, in Aries's case, spring, but it's also the cardinal sign of the whole astrological calendar. Thus, Aries has to do with initiating action in the moment. It's intuitive because it's unconscious. It just does. And yet, it doesn't sustain very well. Thus, now this is me speaking, the motto I've created for Aries is, Intuit, then just do it. Intuit, you ask? Yes, Aries is a fire sign, and in Jungian psychology, fire is associated with intuition. With Aries, we could also call this instinct. But whatever it is, it's that thing that we know on a gut level, and then, because Aries is that first sign in the zodiac, we just do it. Okay, before I start getting too carried away, let's go over the basics from Judy Hall's Astrology Bible. The Aries glyph is a ram's head. It symbolizes the assertive, thrusting nature of the sign and its ability to meet challenges head on. The ruler of Aries is Mars. Natural house is the first, its quality or modality is cardinal. Its element is fire. Its polarity is positive, and this is sometimes called masculine or yang energy. Its exaltation, the planet in exaltation, is the sun. The planet in fall is Saturn. And the planet in detriment is Venus. Keywords for Aries. Self-expression. Assertion. Forcefulness. Urgency. Initiative. Courage, aggression, impulse, enterprise, passion, selfishness, leadership, egotism, combustible, 
foolhardy, and survival instinct. The Aries personality. The aim is to win, no matter the competition, which is what makes it all so exciting. A natural leader, Aries truly believes that he is always right. This is not a team player. However, I have some more to say on that in a bit. If things go wrong, which is always a risk when you rush headlong, Aries will simply draw from the well of eternal optimism and move on. The Aries mind is a restless mind, quick-witted. It's easily bored. It likes to move on quickly. Next! Aries has a good sense of humor, and it often finds expression in satirical wit. It's rarely at a loss for words. And if you don't believe me, listen to Rick Levine. He is an Aries. Emotions of Aries. They have a childlike naivete that makes Aries surprisingly vulnerable. They can get angry suddenly. They may lack some empathy, but when awareness occurs, they will fight for the underdog. Strengths. They're generous and enthusiastic people who make things happen. They give it their all in work and in play. Weaknesses. They lack perseverance. Want it all right now. Can be exceedingly selfish and will sometimes jeopardize the security of others when it gets obsessive. Shadow. Aries takes on the vacillating tendencies of its opposite, Libra, and leads to procrastination. It can also have difficulty saying no, also like Libra. Things they like, noise, excitement, danger, sex, satire, dislikes, peace and quiet, monotony, hypocrisy, injustice. Okay, now some traditional correspondences from the Astrology Bible, and this, folks, is not a complete list. I just picked and choose some. Aries, the day, Tuesday, corresponds to the number nine. Physiology, head and face, adrenal and suprarenal glands. Now, I've not spoken to this much before because I only know a very tiny bit about it, but this is from a field called medical astrology, where each of the signs rules a part of the body. And it naturally starts with Aries from the head and then moves on down the body. Okay, the birthstone correspondence. Rubies and diamonds. Metal. Iron. It is Mars, after all. Colors. Red and white. Animals. Dragons, sheep, and tigers. Foods. Hot, spicy, red shit. <laughs> and places. And I just chose and picked a few of these. England, Germany, Israel, France, North America, especially Las Vegas places with sporting facilities, capital cities, and stables, among many others. Okay, now from my teacher, Kaipacha, a few more details. Remember, Aries emerges out of Pisces, which is the Alpha and Omega. We are all one, with dreams and imaginations. And then, what comes out of this infinite potential is a desire. It's Aries. I am here. Aries is the baby popping into the world, ready or not. Here I am. I am going to bring something new to creation. Kaipacha says, Humanity is the leading edge of the expanding universe. The more awake we are in our consciousness, the more we are source, witnessing itself and expanding into new realms. Now, about that desire. We must be careful not to suppress that desire. Or it can turn into all sorts of bad things especially anger and rage, which Aries is often associated with. On the other hand, Aries is a race car driver. Hmm, sounds like an old song. Aries? Jerry? Uh, never mind. The point is, 
be careful not to be like old Aries Jerry and drive so goddamn fast you wrap yourself around a telephone pole. Still, caution? <laughs> That's for the birds. Aries is just going to do it, and in doing it, Aries will learn. As Kaipacha says, Aries becomes more conscious to know themselves through action. Aries, being associated with Mars, well, it's often the athlete and the warrior. But another manifestation, Aries is the guardian at the gate. Aries wants to be out front and in service of a higher power, a higher something. It's not the leader of the group, but it is in the lead, if you understand the difference. Last, I've been taking the Cosmic Calendar course on Astrology Hub from Christopher Renstrom the past few weeks and want to bring in a few things he said about Aries that we've yet to cover. First, in relation to what I was just saying, Christopher calls Aries the, quote, first responders of astrology, unquote, the superheroes. They are doing it for the rush, and they come to life when they are in a crisis. However, there is a shadow to this, that rescuing fosters dependency. Aries needs to allow others to learn to fend for themselves. Renstrom also calls Aries one of the three father types of the Zodiac. The other are Leo and Capricorn. The Aries father is Coach Dad. He wants a winner, not a whiner. Later in the episode, I'll be chatting with Disco Biscuits bass player Mark Brownstein here on the park bench, and I'm going to tell him how I've used him as an archetype, which I call Mark Bernstein. That is basically my Aries Coach Dad. That might get a little bit mm, awkward. <laughs> okay. Randstrom says Aries are suspicious of flattery and praise, and they won't give it. They'd rather just keep coaching you up and will tell you to get over it if you're down. A key insight for the Aries coach dads out there is to coach people to fend for themselves. Don't be their rescuers. It's, you know, the old teach a man to fish, feed him for life thing. Wait a minute. Isn't that Pisces? I digress. You know how I was saying Aries will be on the front line of a battle? Yes, Renstrom says, this is true. They will follow leaders into war, comfortably taking orders, but, very important, they must respect that leader. If they don't, Aries can be very critical. The last thing from Renstrom is that for all their bluster, Aries maintain a beautiful childlike innocence. Like I said before, as with all these 12 archetypes, Aries are complex. Now, to finish up, because Aries is a fire sign, I'd like to return to some thoughts Rick Levine has about differentiating between the fire signs, which are, again, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. To paraphrase Levine, Aries is the bonfire that just goes up in a flash, the logs in the fire that is really, really hot, and then they burn out. Leo is the fire in a hearth that sustains the eternal light. And Sagittarius is the fire that is a burning star in a distant galaxy. It's aspirational, a light that is almost more of an idea than a thing in front of us. In astrology, fire is aligned with masculine energy, and that is energy that moves outwards. And it's also about impulse. Levine says, Aries is about that first impulse. Leo is about sustaining the impulse, and Sagittarius is about saying, okay, where do I go with this impulse, and how can I leave that and then come back to it? Okay, folks, that wraps up this main segment about the archetype of Aries. 
I hope you have a better understanding now of what Aries is all about. But if you don't, all you got to do is remember this. Into it and just do it. That's the Aries way. When I started this series of podcasts back during Libra season, one of the intentions was to help listeners not only understand these archetypes, but to then possibly embody those archetypes during the season. And maybe that would help make their lives better. And one of the reasons these archetypes work, and I would suggest that this is where the problem of the northern southern hemisphere situation comes into play, but Aries season is about the start of things and it's connected to spring. But obviously, if you are listening to me from the southern hemisphere, it's the start of your fall. So... Yeah, I don't know how you would work with those things. Maybe listen to Libra season during your spring. But one thing to consider, and this is what I just got out of the Cosmic Calendar course, is that our own personal life may not be necessarily aligned with the calendar. You see, I was born in Capricorn season. And according to Renstrom's Cosmic Calendar model, that means that for me, my spring is actually Libra season. The idea behind that is that as you approach the time when you were born, your season, that's kind of like your summer. That's when your solar charge is most charged by the sun going over your solar natal chart. So for me, that is on January 4th in Capricorn season. So spring for me is in the fall, Libra season. And you know what? That kind of makes sense, because that is, after all, when I started this series of podcasts. I thought to myself, hey, time to start something new, and it was during Libra season. The point of all this is, folks, a lot of this stuff we should just play with. Experiment. We don't really know exactly how things work, and sometimes I think we think we know more than we do. And after all, it is one big circle. It's not really a start and an end. And, you know, we hear astrologers talk about this with Pisces season into Aries season, that every ending is actually a beginning. And, well, you know, just play with it a little bit, all right? Anyway, before I finish here, I'm going to speak a little bit about working with the Aries energy. It really is about finding your own willpower, finding your own courage, and beginning new projects and just going for it, just doing it, you know, don't make excuses, uh, start up a new diet, start up a new exercise practice, start something new, and pour your heart and soul into it, and don't apologize for it, go and be yourself, and celebrate your own unique individuality, because Aries is about, you know, again, a baby popping in the world, and here you are, and you're this unique thing that has never been before. So that's really the gist of it. I don't think there's a whole lot deeper. I mean, I could go on longer, but there's a lot more of this podcast. And what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to play, and for those of you that listen to episode 100 or 37 slash 100, uh, thank you. But the next clip you're going to hear, about two and a half minutes long, I played on that episode. But I think it pretty much sums up on a deeper level my own cheerleading of you and this doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you are when you listen to this um, i'm speaking to every single human on the planet with this next one and it is the clip i titled you are a badass we are all badasses so please enjoy you are a badass we are all badasses 
we are very courageous for having chosen to come into this world during this period of history. Each person alive is courageous. I know, I know deeply that I struggle to believe this about myself. But when I look at the world, and when I look at what we're all going through, and for each and every one of us, it's different. But for every one of us, it's fucking intense. I don't think there's escape from what we're going through. I don't think there's a way out unless you choose death, and many are choosing death. But I'm not going to judge them for that. All I'm going to say is those of you, those of us, who are choosing life during these times, you are a badass. This is an extremely important and challenging transition that humanity is going through. And yet, you decided to come and be a part of it. Look at the world and see every single person as a courageous badass. And notice how that changes your perception of the world and what we're going through. How that increases your compassion. And how that also then reflects back upon yourself because you are a part of this world too. And then it gives you compassion for yourself. And then it also tells you, wow, there is courage in me. I can do this, whatever this is. So yeah, please remember, you are a badass. We are all badasses.
As stated in the intro, the following section is about the information war being waged against the public. Now, how does this relate to astrology? Well, first and foremost, war is associated with Aries' ruling planet, Mars. However, Aries is a fire sign, yet this war, which I do believe is akin to World War III, is being fought mostly in the information sphere which, in astrological terms, is in the element of air. This is not to say that there aren't real-world, i.e. the element of Earth, consequences, or that there isn't a traditional war happening in Ukraine and other places. But unlike the 1930s and 1940s, this war hasn't broken out in violence in the physical realm all over the world, and I very much doubt that it will. Instead, I see how it's been fought in our media, in the narratives we are being told are true, and in the way we are then weaponized against each other because of these narratives that we believe. In addition, and this segment doesn't go into this, but I suspect we may see cyber attacks which would also be categorized in the element of air. We shall see. One of the reasons I believe that the astrology supports the idea that this is a war in air is because of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction cycle. Over the past 40 years, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction has transitioned from Earth to air. Jupiter and Saturn are known as the social planets, and their conjunction often reflects what's happening in society. Those conjunctions occur approximately every 20 years, and they have a fascinating cycle through the elements. Basically, they will be in one element for about 160 years, and then, They'll dip into the next element for 20 years, go back to the previous element for 20 years of unfinished business, and then, on their next meeting, they'll kick off a new cycle for 160 years in the next element. So, in 1980, they met in the air sign of Libra, after being in Earth for 160 years, before going back into Earth in 2000 when they met in Taurus only to meet at zero degrees of Aquarius on the winter solstice of 2020, kicking off the 160-year air cycle. Did you hear that? Zero degrees of Aquarius on the winter solstice. You cannot make this stuff up, folks. Anyway, that particular conjunction is why some astrologers believe we've started the age of Aquarius. Personally, and I spoke about this on the Aquarius Season podcast, I think we are still transitioning into it, but that certainly was a big moment, and this is why I believe this war we are in is an air war. I've also spoken in previous episodes, I believe in the Capricorn season episode, about the idea of generational theory, which is an 80-year societal cycle, and it can be looked at as though the cycle goes through the four seasons. Thus, the 1930s and 1940s are like now, a winter cycle. Anyway, whatever happens in this war, no matter what element it's taking place in or what season, let's pray that we humans can figure this out with the least amount of trauma and killing possible. Okay, the following is Russell Brand reading from a piece by Matt Taibbi titled Orwell Was Right. Yes, I'm getting super meta here. And that is followed up by Monica Harris's blog post titled, Hunter Biden's Laptop is Back. This time we'd better pay attention. As read by yours truly.
9-11 wiped the national hard drive of everything from the third degree to the My Lai Massacre to Operations Phoenix and Condor to the Church Committee to the School of the Americans to countless other shameless episodes and the lessons learned from them. The Trump-Russia scandal blotted out Snowden, made the spooks the good guys again. 2016 rehabilitated neoconservatives, now reinvented as never-Trumpers, cleaning away the shame of Iraq, Abu Ghraib, Afghanistan, etc. The misinformation panic wiped out the WMD fiasco, restoring honour to credentialed press. The DNC leak erased collateral murder. After George Floyd, we hated cops. After January 6th, we loved them. Ukraine now is openly being sold as a blue pill cure for everything that went wrong during the war on terror, including the recent defeat in Afghanistan. Realism is in disgrace and leadership, regime change and the universal appeal of freedom are back only this time their primary backers are the upper class cosmopolitan democrats who marched against the simplistic freedom against evil plot neoconservatives tried to sell them 20 years ago. We're at the end of a 20 year cycle that has taken what was once the oppositional skeptic portion of the American population and seen them rallied behind the people they once hated the most. This has been accomplished by keeping us in a rage that always escalates and is never Never watered down by contradictions thanks to the mastery of reality control via an unending series of victories over your own memory. Hunter Biden's laptop is back. This time we'd better pay attention by Monica Harris. People in a free society must have the right and the courage to point out corruption when they see it. The cognitive dissonance in America today is staggering. Half the country thinks it's a moral imperative to defend the freedom of Ukrainians, yet actively ignores the suppression of freedom in their own country. While Americans are spied on by their government and routinely denied their right to free speech, there is no outrage from people who are willing to pay $7 for gas to protect democracy 6,000 miles away. It's a profound disconnect that's deeply disturbing, but also completely understandable. Feckless politicians and opportunistic media have spent years stoking fear and anger in Americans, convincing each side to loathe the other. They've distorted our perception of people who don't think or vote the way we do, and conditioned us to see them as monsters who must be slayed. When people are constantly triggered by hate and fear, they tend to think emotionally, not rationally. And when people are overtaken by emotion, it's difficult for them to see hypocrisy that's staring them in the face. If everything you've read tells you Donald Trump is an existential threat, you'll spend years accusing him of colluding with Russians and delegitimizing his election. But you'll think it's a crime for anyone to question how his successor was elected. If you believe there's a pandemic of white supremacy, you won't care if months-long protests cause multiple deaths, destroy businesses, and inflame the population but you'll think people who protest the government and occupy the capital for hours without taking a single life have destabilized the country. If you've been conditioned to hate, you won't see that these situations are really just two sides of the same coin. The hypocrisy will evade you. To be clear, I don't blame anyone for falling into this trap. If you're convinced someone is evil or dangerous, you'll resort to desperate measures to destroy them. You might even be willing to cut corners in a democracy and consent to things you might otherwise be ashamed of because you honestly believe the fate of the country hangs in the balance. You might, for example, think it's okay to put a pin in the First Amendment just for a little while 
to punish the monsters and contain them. It becomes a, if you had the chance to kill Hitler in the crib, would you grab a knife and off the little bugger? Kind of dilemma. I get it. But what if the people who convinced you to poke holes in democracy for the sake of punishing the monsters have been less than forthright with you? Do you wake up and realize the danger of relying on sources with questionable credibility? Or do you double down on the emotionally driven narrative they've addicted you to, even if it threatens the core of the democracy you're trying to protect? This is where we find ourselves at now. For the past four years, the media have gone to great lengths to convince us that they have a monopoly on truth and that everything else is disinformation, mostly dispensed by Russians. Legacy media have shamed and crucified people who dared to question their version of the facts, and big tech has suspended, banned, and otherwise silenced those who deviate from the narrative. Yet, while all this has happened, we've been getting inklings that these truth-tellers are far from infallible. Throughout his presidency, we were told that Trump colluded with Russians to win the 2016 election. Anyone who begged to differ with the narrative was guilty of spreading disinformation. Yet after a lengthy and expensive investigation, special counsel Robert Mueller found no evidence that Trump actually conspired with Russians. In fact, last year, we even learned a key informant lied to the FBI to make the case for collusion. In 2020, fact-checkers debunked claims that New York had inflated the number of COVID hospitalizations. Yet in January, Governor Kathy Hochul disclosed that as many as 50% of the state's COVID patients were likely admitted for reasons unrelated to the virus. But it's not just COVID hospitalizations. As recently as three months ago, fact-checkers also debunked claims that COVID deaths in the U.S. had been exaggerated by counting those who died with, and not because of, the virus. Yesterday, however, the CDC announced it was reducing the total number of deaths by 70,000 due to a, quote, coding logic error, unquote, that was, quote, accidentally counting deaths that were not COVID-19 related, unquote. One can only wonder how systemic this computer glitch is and what the CDC will uncover in the future. The list goes on. At this point, sensible and intelligent people can see that relying on these trusted sources to tell us what is disinformation and what is real information is dicey at best. The problem in America now, and it's a huge problem, is that we're in seriously short supply of sensible and intelligent people. The media have done such a bang-up job in flaming, manipulating, and flat-out terrifying millions of Americans that they're not just ignoring hypocrisy, they can't even acknowledge when they've been lied to. It's not a case of, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. What we're dealing with now is, fool me again and again, and that's just fine by me. Sensible and intelligent folk have found this head-in-the-sand denial puzzling and mildly frustrating. We often scratch our heads and wonder why anyone would continue to trust people with such shoddy credibility. If you caught your wife cheating six times, would you trust her when she denies it the seventh time, even after you saw her car parked at an out-of-the-way motel at 2 a.m.? Probably not. And yet, 
This is how millions of Americans treat the media and government that curate facts for us. They keep driving by the motel and seeing the car, but they continue to believe their spouse is faithful. It's epic, epic denial. But now, the denial is getting scary and extremely dangerous. Two recent developments highlight the threat this denial now poses to our ability to maintain the free society we like to believe we still have. Two days ago, we learned the infamous Hunter Biden laptop, the one containing incriminating emails of his dealings with Ukraine, China, and other governments, the device we were assured was fake, is, in fact, quite authentic. Keep in mind that three weeks before the 2020 election, the New York Post was vilified for breaking this fishy story, and former intelligence officials insisted it was Russian disinformation of the highest order. Twitter even suspended the Post's account and demanded that it retract the piece. Anyone who shared the story was put down like a rabid dog. But now we know the truth. Now we know the people we're supposed to trust slandered responsible journalists for uncovering facts that threatened Biden's campaign. Think about what this means. We now have solid evidence that the president's son traded his father's influence as currency to enrich their family to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Yet Americans weren't supposed to be aware of this as they headed to the polls. And if they became aware and tried to share this information, they were shamed and silenced. This isn't supposed to happen in a free country. This is something you'd expect to happen in, oh, maybe Russia? The tyrannical country that's invading Ukraine. These are tactics you'd expect to see in a banana republic, or within the lawless borders of a repressive Middle Eastern kingdom. But it's not happening in those far-flung places. It's happening in a country that millions of people believe is still a bastion of freedom and is capable of defending democracy abroad. It never occurs to them that a country that shames and silences people who expose bribery at the highest levels might not be best suited to defend democracy anywhere. Now, consider this. On February 7th, the Department of Homeland Security quietly updated its summary of terrorist threats to include, quote, the proliferation of false or misleading narratives which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions. Again, think about what this means. If you were one of many Americans who suspected the Hunter Biden laptop story wasn't disinformation, might it have created doubt in your mind about the integrity of the office of vice president? If Hunter could leverage his father's role as a public servant to reap millions from the country that's systematically displacing the U.S. as a global leader and the country the U.S. is hell-bent on protecting at all costs, even if it means Americans can't afford to commute to work, might you start to wonder just how deeply flawed the innards of government are? The implications are profoundly disturbing. They might even have prompted you to question your trust in the U.S. government on a much deeper level. You might have been so disturbed that you were tempted to share your suspicions and your waning trust with others. But if you did this a week ago, our government would deem you a terrorist. Thankfully, no one who believed the Hunter Biden laptop story can be accused of being a terrorist now. Thankfully, we now have proof that the story wasn't disinformation. But what if the truth had never come to light? How long would the creators of the narrative have continued to spin their version of reality 
and persecute those who resisted it. More important, how many Americans will be courageous enough to doubt the narrative in the future if they know they might be branded a terrorist? If you believe Americans are entitled to at least as much freedom as Ukrainians, these questions should make you think long and hard. Because what's at stake now transcends politics, emotions, and personality. It doesn't matter if you think Biden is the next Winston Churchill and Vladimir Putin is the reincarnation of Hitler. Whether you think Trump is America's second coming and Volodymyr Zelensky is a third-rate actor giving the performance of his life. What's at stake now is the beating heart of America. If people in a free country aren't allowed to question the integrity of their leaders and their institutions, then what guarantees do we have that our country will in fact remain free? If we can be prosecuted for spreading false narratives, even though the people we rely on to suss out facts often get them wrong, what makes America better than the tyrannical countries it demonizes? When will we stop blindly trusting people who have misled us again and again, and find the courage to suss out the truth ourselves? What will it take to get America to think again? Okay, folks, I'm going to risk upsetting our guest here, the Disco Biscuits bass player Mark Brownstein, by zapping him to our location because, well, it's the middle of the night in New York, just like I did to him and others on the 100th episode. But we're going to just record this and give this a shot. I think this is a good time to do it. And I'm eager to talk to Mark Brownstein. And uh, there's one more reason he might be a little bit, I don't know, upset. But let's just get him over here and see what happens. And we're going to talk. The topic is going to be about music that inspires us and that gives us energy. And we're going to talk about the Disco Biscuits because that's the band he's in. But, yeah, that's the topic. All right, here we go. Let's uh, zap up the old machine here and get Brownie over here. Here we go. Oh, what? What? Oh, jeez. You again? Hey, Brian. Uh, Mark? <laughs> you almost caught me. Brian. Yeah, I'm a little confused. It's late in the day here. Well, it's fucking early for me. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, where are we, anyway? Are we still in Japan? Oh, we're in Japan, right? Yeah, we're in Japan. We're just up the river from the normal uh, park bench. And we're at a park, what, picnic table? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. This is a picnic table. Um, same as it is in the U.S., you know. Uh, these are called picnic tables here. All right. We're talking Aries season, Mark. Are you ready? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it was it's like 4 a.m. or I don't even know what time it is in New York right now, but it's the middle of the night. I mean, I do have to go to the dentist again. Really? What's going on with your dental stuff? You told me you didn't want to talk about that last time, so let's forget about it. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't think that's very interesting. Um, it's off the topic, but yeah, I didn't know. Sorry. Well, anyway, let's get on with it. Get on with it. All right. So, Brownie. Yes. You are the bass player for the uh, Transfusion uh, Psychedelic Arena Rock Band, the Disco Biscuits, out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And you all formed back in uh, 1996. You're reading a Wikipedia entry or something? Actually, no, I'm not. I'm uh, just doing this off the top of my head. Oh, 
sounds like a Wikipedia entry. Kind of does. Uh, I'm not sure I've even got that right, but yeah, yeah, we formed in the University of Pennsylvania, Penn, and uh, yeah, me and uh, the other boys. Yeah, you and uh, drummer Samuel Alban, the professor, and uh, keyboardist Aaron Magner, and uh, John the Barber Gutwig. And John is also, like you, you guys are both Aries. And I will tell you that I was wanting to have you guys back on during Sagittarius season because for me, your music um, kind of defines, sort of sums up what I feel. Like it's, I already described to my listeners earlier the difference between uh, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius, uh, the fire signs. And uh, Sagittarius is a little bit more of a kind of the aspirational, it's like the fire and the gal- the stars in the sky. And like, you know, your music to me feels very aspirational and kind of spiritual. Uh, but then I looked up your birth dates and found out that both you and John were Aries. And I was like, well, that's cool. At least they're still fire seasons. And your music certainly does fire me up. All right. I think I followed all that. Fair enough. And I'm glad my music does that. Yeah. And, you know, I was uh, one of the people that, you know, so to tell the listeners about the Disco Biscuits a little bit, um, you guys are a pretty, you know, you're a, a fringe band. Fringe. What are we like into conspiracy theories or something? Well, no, but I mean, John has his own podcast, Touchdowns All Day podcast, and you know, he even talks about it. Like, you guys are, you're not a mainstream band, you're not on the radio, and like, you're not as big as Fish is. And even Fish, I would say, even as big as they are, they're kind of like, you know, they sell out a lot of tickets, but culturally, and I, you know, they're huge, but culturally, they're still kind of on the fringe, and you guys are even more on the fringe than Fish, you know? All right, now you're making me feel bad. Well, no, no. I mean, you still, you guys have had a really great career. Like, this is what, 2022? Uh, last time I checked. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, you started in 1996. Uh, you had, you know, you've been playing together. You had that one year where you left the band in a huff or whatever. I don't, yeah. We, we don't want to, we don't need to go there. It's all ancient history. Indeed. Um, and I was so happy when you came back. I remember that very well. Um, I had actually been at some fish concerts in uh, Deer Creek. I was coming back and going to go to uh, three concerts of the String Cheese Incident. Now, talk about fringe. (laughs) They're kind of equally fringe to you guys. Uh, Equally? Okay. I like you guys better, all right? Let's just set the record straight. But, yeah, I was going to go see them. Anyway, on that day I came back from the fish concerts, I found out you were going to come back to the Biscuits. And I was so excited because... I'd started going to your shows in 1999, the 9-9. Yes, that is what we call it. And um, your music, I was like, man, these guys are great. And I went on this tour, and you guys were at that time still, uh, you know, you were still in your, you're like, you know, you're my generation. You're a couple years younger than me. Um, But you guys were still small enough that before the shows, I would, you know, I was on tour and I'd be able to talk to you guys and stuff. And it was like, you know, kind of like this group that I was growing with. And all of a sudden, then you left the band. And then it was like, oh, this thing that I was so excited about. Then, But then when you came back, I was super pumped. Well, I'm glad. Anyway, so we're going to talk about what? Music inspiring us and stuff. And uh, yeah, so, okay. I promised the listeners that I would uh, tell you about... Uh, so astrology uh, i don't really care that much i mean i'm not anti-astrology but you know i'm not really pro astrology like 
I don't know. It's kind of seems a little bit whatever, you know. I don't whatever. Yeah, I get it. Um, but okay, so the way I work with astrology is kind of with archetypes, right? Okay, and each of these twelve signs of the different planets, like they have this archetypal language, which there it's a tool. It's a tool for self growth, for understanding the world, and it's like um, you know, like do you know MBTI? Uh, no. Yeah, it's a Myers-Briggs Type Indicator System. Oh, I think I've heard of that before. That's the personality thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like 16 types. Okay, yeah. I, somebody tried to type me one time. And what do they type you as? I don't know. I'm guessing you're a fellow ENFP. Oh, no. Oh, no. We can't be the same. All right, whatever. That's my guess. I'm just typing you as an ENFP, and John, I think, is like an ESFJ, maybe. Oh, he's an ESFP. The entertainer i don't know i don't know i don't know you guys well enough to say for sure but um you're definitely an extroverted guy and uh yeah i would say that that's true and your music like your lyrics like, compared to john's like your lyrics have a little bit more lovey-dovey to them and a little bit more you know like enfps would write where john's are more kind of like party boy types more esfps and like freddie mercury is an esfp but mercury wrote some great love songs well they <laughs> Everybody feels love, Brownie. It's not like ESFPs can't feel love. I'm just saying, like, in general. Um, I, I Anyway, I'm, we're getting way off topic here, and I think people here who don't know anything about MBTI will have no idea what I'm talking about. Count me in that group. All right. Um, hey, guys. Whoa, what's going on? It's me. Brownie. I hear him. Neil, what's up? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, yeah, hi, Neil. Yeah, I'm... I went to the other bench, but you weren't there, so I found you here. Oh, everybody, this is uh, Neil, uh, father of tortillas, godfather of grunge, uh, mother of <laughs> marijuana, Neil Young. Uh, Hi, not the mother of marijuana. That's fake news. Uh, yeah, Neil's here too, I guess. Um, I didn't. Ex- I, were you trying to hide from me? Is that what's going on here? Uh, I wasn't. No, not honestly, Neil. I just this was on the way home, and I. Thought I had a little bit of daylight left here. Well, you do. There's still light. So you were right about that. I, I was correct. And I just thought I would take a crack at recording this in the afternoon, see how it comes out, you know? like. Um, and so I wasn't trying to hide from you, man. It's just this is the bench on the way home. And uh, here I am. And uh, But how did you find us? I've got my tricks. All right. Anyway, nice to have you, Neil. We're just talking about music that inspires us and uh, gives us some energy. Now... I guess some of your crazy horse material, I would say, does that. But I don't know. It's not really your kind of thing, man. You're more of a... You're telling me rocking in the free world doesn't fire you up? Well, yeah, that one kind of does. Yeah, you've got some fire in you, Neil. I'm not saying you don't have fire. Oh, I got fire, boy, and I'll bring it. I'll bring it anytime I want, even to your podcast if I goddamn want to. <laughs> All right. Certainly, certainly. Uh, but I'm trying to talk to Brownie here, okay? The, the, he's the main guest here because he is an Aries. And, uh, Neil, you've had your time in the sun, and, you know, you're welcome to hang out, but... All right, all right, I get it. You want me to shut up? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, so, Brownie, so you guys, like, your music is very much like a dance party and, you know, transfusion, and it's very high energy. And so I was going to tell you that uh i my exercise my main exercise is cycling and uh i 
will often ride my bike and I do these wind sprints. And they're basically, I learned this along the way, you do 20 seconds in a sprint and then you take 10 seconds off, then you do 20 seconds and 10 seconds off. Yeah, that's a wind sprint. We understand the concept. Okay, <laughs> you don't need to get testy. Yeah, geez. I mean, Brownie, if you're going to come on the guy's show, show some respect. Hey, you woke me up again, all right? He told me he wouldn't, and now he did, and so I'm just a little bit crabby. And besides, i got to go back to the dentist today for this problem I got. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I do these wind sprints, and I don't really like doing them. And other times I'll do these long bike rides, and sometimes even those, like those I kind of like more, but there are times where I'm kind of tired. But I've got this coach in my head, and as I was telling my listeners, like Aries, one of the uh, astrologers I follow, talks about how there are three different father uh, characters in the astrological signs, Aries, Leo, and Capricorn. And the Aries father is the coach father, coach dad. And so I've created this archetype. And Brownie, I hope you're not, well, I'm just going to say it. The, the archetype's name is Mark Bernstein. Mark Bernstein. Ah, I get it. Yeah, Mark Brownstein, Mark Bernstein. So I kind of use your voice, but he's a little bit more gruff and he's a little more like, he's not so lovey-dovey. He's a hardcore, he's like my coach. He's like my trainer. And he's like, Winchell, keep going. Don't piss out on me, Winchell. You got more in you. Come on, you can do it. Sounds like a son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah, he kind of is. But at the same time, at the end of the day, he's very, he's concerned. He wants me to stay in shape and he wants me to do all I can do and be all I can be and to just do it. It's the Aries fucking fire, man. That's the thing. And then I find out you're an Aries and it all just fucking perfectly makes sense. To you, maybe. I don't know where you're going with this. No one asked you, Neil. <laughs> no, no one did. No one did, Neil. No one even invited you. See, you did. You are trying to hide. I knew it. Uh, no, I'm not. But anyway, so I use like archetypes, like voices and things and characters to, you know, enhance my, my life. And so, you know, I need that. I'm not a person that, you know, like I said, I don't really like doing wind sprints and stuff like I like, you know, doing my long bike rides and stuff, but yeah, so I need that voice to sometimes go, come on, you can do it, go for it, get going, and I think we all do, you know, we all need that coach dad, and you know, the guy, you know, I want a winner, not a whiner, we need that sometimes, so that's who Mark Bernstein is. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess I'm honored, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, great, you know, and then I'm usually listening to the biscuits as I do this, too. That's the other thing. That's probably how it came up with the name. I would imagine it, it's connected to the biscuits, to me. I mean, that... Yeah, it makes fucking sense. So, I don't know what my listeners use, like what music they listen to to do their workouts or just to get motivated. Sometimes we get down in life and we're just like, I don't want to get out of bed today. And You know, I'm curious if any listeners out there... Have, have, have suffered this conversation this far <laughs> yeah yeah geez this one's gone pretty uh well i don't know yeah let's not let's not try to define it neil it's you know it's been a good talk and um we'll wrap it up here but you know what do you guys listen to that's all well i mean it's weird to admit it but i listen to us you know like i listen to like some of my favorites are like 42 
Oh, that's a classic disco song, and it's one of your best, Brownie. And when you came to Japan, the last time I saw you guys play, uh, they, oh, God, this is a great opportunity. T- 2009, you came to Japan. You played at Fuji Rock at Naeba. You mean Naeba? <sighs> Let me talk to you about that. Let me get to that in a second. What's that for? Just, just hold on. When you did 42, you have that lyric where you say, um, did I remember the dream I had last night or something? Jesus, you can't even get the lyric right. I'm sucky at lyrics, Brownie. That's why I never could be a musician. I can't remember them. But something, um, and you said, I had the most fucked up dream last night. And I'm just curious if you remember. When was this? 2009. When you came, last time you guys came to Japan. 13 years ago. You're asking me to remember a dream from 13 years ago. Well, you said it on the stage, so I thought maybe it had some special significance. That's the song Naiba, all right? It came out of that dream. Really? Yeah. So all the lyrics in that dream are from, or in that song are from the dream. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's Na, Naiba. But you say Naiba. All right. Here's the thing. I was a huge fan, not anymore, because it's fucking lame, but I was a huge fan of the band Sticks, you know, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible song. I hated it forever, even when I was a kid. Well, I liked it. All right. I Shame, 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 get the bell. But I liked it. All right. And uh, but then I come to find out later when I come to Japan, because I'm I'm like quoting it to people. They're like, what's Roboto? Yeah, it's ro- Roboto, Roboto. Yeah, so, like, sticks, like, fucked up. They said Arigato, Roboto, and it's Roboto. So I thought, if I'm going to write a song about Japan in honor, well, not in honor, but kind of, like, mocking sticks and mocking us, because, you know, you can't take yourself too seriously. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't. Uh, <laughs> so I just said Naiba, all right? That sounds like a fucking not mighty fine excuse to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Neil, I got to admit. I love it, though, Brownie. Um, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to believe you that, that you intentionally did that in order to both honor and mock <laughs> your shameful love of Mr. Roboto, Mr. Roboto uh, by Six, which is an awful, awful song. But, you know, here's the thing, and I'll close with this for the listeners out there. A little bit of music trivia. Uh, yeah, Brown, I mean, I, and Brownie, by the way, I love Naiba, like that song. I love that song. And I like the version you guys did from uh, April of 2019 in New Orleans. I know a lot of people knock, knock that show, but you do this really cool little bass theme that then John picks up on, and I love it. It's so fucking cool. I, I might even put it on the end of the episode here. I'm going to play another Bisco song. Did you already play it? I forgot. I forgot. I haven't. I haven't put the order yet together, um, Brownie. I'm, we're still doing the recording here, but um, I'll try to put that little clip because it's so cool. But it's not really fiery. It's more watery and airy. But it's cool. I love it. Uh, what was I talking about? I don't know. What were you talking about? Fuck. I hate it when I do this. Oh, Japanese music. Like a lot of Japanese music does. Like they'll sing like the verse in Japanese, and then they'll get to the song, like the chorus, and they'll be like. Hello, sunshine, sunshine. And that's not an actual song, but you know, they'll say it in English, but they, they pronounce it in their Japanese way. So it goes both ways is my point. You guys blow, you know, Westerners blow the, 
Japanese pronunciation, Japanese below the Western pronunciation, you know, I guess is kind of because I've got my uh, Mercury in Capricorn at zero degrees. Oh, God. Back to the astrology. Yeah, we're, we're getting back into it. This is an astrology podcast. This episode, we're about talking about Aries. And uh, anyway, I think I'm kind of like a little bit nerdy about getting details right. Like people pronunciate, pronunciate, pronunciate. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. Why is it pronunciation, but we say pronounce? Like, why? English is crazy, all right? That's what I tell my students, Brownie. Thank you. That's exactly what I tell my students when they ask me that kind of question. It's just English is crazy, all right? You just have to learn it. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I get it. You know, like when people pronounce names and words wrong and like they make songs out of it or like another one was like Hideki Matsui when his name is Matsui, you know, the sport. These are announcers. They're professionals. You should get it right. It's not that hard. Um, but I am going to accept your explanation about Naiba. Uh, great song. Love it. Um, thank you for joining me, Brownie. And uh, Neil, yeah, thanks for finding us, I guess. Sure thing. <laughs> you can't get away from old Neil. No, we can't. All right, Brian, I'm going to get back. All right, good luck with that dental work. Yep, yep, yep. Take care there, Brownie. See you later. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us. Bye-bye. At, at this, this moment, moment you, you should be with us. Feeling like, like we, do. we do. Like you, like love, you to, love to. But never but will never again. Will. Again. Miss you. Here is you.